All right, welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Gary Hill, Aaron Goldsmith. Aaron, great to talk with you again. <laughs> Glad you found the time. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough, Gary, squeezing squeezing the podcast in like this uh, between errands and appointments and mass social gatherings that I attend. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that we I'm glad that we do find the time, even at the odd hours in which we record, so that we don't lose touch, Gary. You know, because we want to we want to remain in full stride with one another. Well, I mean, the truth is, once the season starts, we see each other every day for a lot of hours of every single day and all of a sudden we're not seeing each other ever ever it's weird it, it's an obscene amount of time that we all spend together <laughs> uh, and I, I think you know it's funny because my worse, yeah my wonderful wife heather or and I'm, I'm I'm curious how mary feels about this now your kids are older as we've discussed here here so they're not they're a little more self-contained but you know heather is uh, very much pro husband at home around the clock, twenty four seven, and I'm at the point where I'm kind of wondering how those parents who are the ones who stay at home right all the time, yeah. how they survive, because it's a challenge. Uh, for those who have missed our earlier podcast, uh, my children are five, three, and six months, so. You called earlier today and interrupted a heated game of Blue Jays versus Orioles backyard wiffle ball uh, that my five-year-old and I were immersed in, uh, which was great. And the weather's been great, obviously, so that's been a lot of fun. That was the Blue Jays-Orioles wiffle ball is not the challenging part of the COVID parenting, as I know you know. No, that's the fun part. Uh, especially, who who was Jackson today? Who was he in the backyard? Well, you know, he was he was wearing he Jackson has five favorite baseball teams. The, the Mariners are obviously the kingpin, but then the other teams are basically chosen because they have his favorite colors, which are blue, blue and red. So he loves the Blue Jays. I bought him a Blue Jays T-shirt at Rogers Center last year. So he was wearing the Blue Jays T-shirt today. So he was the Blue Jays. Another team that he randomly likes simply because he thinks the mascot is funny looking, has nothing to do with the colors. He loves the Orioles. He thinks the bird's very funny, which I understand. Like, I get that. Um, you know, it, it takes me back, by the way, not to digress, but like when I was a kid, like I loved the Expos because yes. I thought everything about them was the coolest, right? Like I had no idea where Montreal was, but I like all the baseball cards of Expos players I thought was awesome. Um, so yeah, he was, uh, I was the Orioles and he was the Blue Jays. And I'm always amazed like when he's pitching to me and he says, okay, dad, you're Dwight Smith Jr. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about, man? How do you even know who Dwight Smith Jr. is? I mean, I have so forgotten everything about Dwight Smith Jr. or so many other Orioles players. And by so many, I mean, do I mean all, all of them? I think think I, I think I mean all of them. Um, but, you know, thanks to MLB at Bat App, he's, he's pretty dialed in to some of his favorite teams. He can name more Baltimore players than anyone outside <laughs> of Baltimore. I am pretty sure. I think that is well, a I was, fact. I was disappointed that uh, when he was asking me who other he was hitting and he wanted he was the Blue Jays again and he was asking me different Blue Jays players and I was like Vlad Jr. and then 
uh, Bo Bichette. And then when you called and I asked him who he was, he said Bo Peep. So, you know, we'll work on <laughs> Bo Bichette. You know, he's he's still a rookie, uh, Bichette that is, so he still has a ways to go to earning street cred from five-year-olds in Seattle. But he'll get there one day maybe. Bo Peep. That's a great name. Bo Peep, man. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> the best thing, the best uh, niche player that Jackson used to love and still does was um, Freddie Galvis. <laughs> <laughs> like, Freddie Galvis, when he was with the Blue Jays, Jackson was watching condensed game recap of a random Blue Jays whatever game. And Freddie Galvis, I mean, credit to Freddie Galvis, he made this ridiculous over the shoulder like middle left field catch shortstop and ranging back like blindly i mean like catch of the year type material and like that cemented freddie galvis for my son and so for like the rest of the summer whenever he was the blue jays he was freddie galvis and then his world got rocked when galvis got traded to the reds mm. and then as the stories goes when the reds was were at our ballpark and I asked Jackson when we FaceTime before the game how many home runs Freddie Galvis had. He said 20, and I thought that was hysterical. And then I did the starting lineups on the air and looked at the stats <laughs> and realized that Freddie Galvis had exactly 20 home runs, <laughs> which is blind luck by my five-year-old, but it still made it made for some laughs in the booth at least. Oh, that's so funny. Freddie Galvis, man. Freddie you know? Galvis. You never 20, know. You, as a, if you're a big leaguer, man. You never know the power that you have as a big leaguer. That's like right. there's a kid someplace in the world, right, who is like idolizing you potentially for absolutely no reason. Yep. I mean, and enter Freddie Galvis. When Arky Cianfraco was a Major League Baseball player, he had no <laughs> idea that I was out there wearing his baseball card in my cap as I played games. He had no idea that was happening. And was there a reason for that? I don't know how it happened. I mean, he was an expo, you know, that's part of it. I mean, it was very appealing, but I know the name was great. It just, everything was great. It all just fell into place. Arky Cianfraco. I dig it, dig it man. It makes sense. I, I get it. I definitely get it. And any five to 13 year old would also understand. <laughs> uh, so is this our third in the series of, of podcasts we're doing? I don't do we we don't have a name for this, do we? I mean, COVID cast, I don't know. This is oh, like cast. this is That's great. this is the COVID edition of the Mariners baseball podcast where you and I just think of completely random baseball topics that loosely involve the Mariners. I like this one. Actually, a lot. it's more than loosely. It's more than loosely. Yeah, but this is you came up with this one a while ago and we've been waiting to get to it. Yeah, so and it's the same same rules apply uh and I'm very anxious to hear what people have to say about this one. Uh, we want your feedback, so tell us, well, once we give you the topic, MarinersPod at Mariners.com, some of your games. Because here's our, our theory. I mean, there's, we're talking favorite games here, but the caveat is we're not talking like playoff games. We're not talking no hitters. You know, we're not talking about the obvious ones that are on most people's lists when it comes to favorite games. We're talking about I don't know, games that you almost have to be there to be on a, a list of a favorite game. Like maybe only you and the people there get it because you had to be there kind of game. You know, something quirky, something personal, just outside the obvious. That's kind of what. But it, has, but that it well? has to relate. 
Yes, but it has to relate to the game. Like, yes. For example, it can't be, oh, my boyfriend proposed to me at the Mariners-Angels game in July, right? Like, that has nothing to do with the box score of the game yes. or the game itself. Like, that is great, and we're happy that that happened. But <laughs> it, this has to be something with the game that was particularly memorable, even though the game could itself be lost to baseball obscurity yes. because of just sheer volume. So that's the only thing I would add to your otherwise pretty flawless description. Perfect. So uh, who should go first? Should we, like, trade? Well, I do have a question. Like, are we are we going – I have – as I discussed with you earlier, and this is obvious, my sample size is – significantly smaller you have been a lifelong mariners fan and also mariners broadcaster for a good bit of time i have done seven seasons with the mariners so i only have seven seasons to drop for i i have two games that immediately came to mind are, are we are we giving both of our games or all of our games today and we are doing all listeners on the next one are we doing one now and save one what would you what, what would you like that's a good question so you can tell for people listening, this is our production meeting. Yeah, you could call this inside radio if you would like to. <laughs> <laughs> this is inside radio. This is this is the textbook definition of inside radio. I say we give all of ours now. Okay, really, we'll really set, really set the ground floor. Yeah, give the example. Okay. Yeah, I and then you. if people why don't, don't, why, don't, why don't we kind of alternate? Because yeah, yeah, you have three, right? I have four. Okay. And if people don't oh, respond, then we're just, we'll just uh, sit in silence for the next podcast. That yeah, will be... This we'll we'll never do. happened. Yeah. Okay, so I'll go first then. Uh, so it's a game that I just squeezed into the classics a couple weeks ago. Maybe not even a couple weeks ago. Last weekend, I think. And well, First of all, some people... I, you need to explain what that is because people, people, as your agent, let me let people know the work that you're putting into ah, yes. for this on 7th to 10. I mean, this is, we we have, I feel like we have discussed this a while back, but for those just joining us, uh, 140 characters or less, what do you mean by the classics? So on 710 and some of our affiliates, radio affiliates, uh, okay, including the one in Spokane and some other places, we, every single night, are playing a Mariners game from the past. And so we've been doing it the past I guess month now, and we'll continue to do it as long as this thing goes. Hopefully not too much longer, but that's what we're doing. So, like right now, we're in the middle of the 2000 playoff run. So, both the ALDS, the ALCS, and then the 2001 playoff run is coming up after that. And, you know, we just played a lot of different games as we move through. So, that's that's what I mean. And if you want to know the schedule, mariners.com slash classics to find the schedule. Oh, nice. Yeah. So this is a game that I played, and I actually had somebody ask me, why why'd you pick this game? Because on the surface, it's not an obvious game. Like, I don't think any Mariners fan would ever have this in their top ten unless they were there. It's one of my favorite games. It's from the year 2000, and it was the debut of Ricky Henderson. So the Mariners... I love Ricky Henderson. I love everything about Ricky. So the fact that, you know, at this point in 2000, surefire Hall of Famer, no doubt about it, he was going to the Hall of Fame, and here he was in a Mariners uniform. And he'd just been picked up, and he was not in the lineup for this game. And it was a game against Tampa Bay. 
And it was a wild game. It was back and forth. It was a really good game. Uh, and the Mariners were down late. And I think it was Buner, a base hit. And we all know that Ricky, despite the fact that he was not in the lineup, he's in the building. He's in uniform. He's on the roster. And so the Mariners are down by one, and there's a base hit. And Lou calls on Ricky Henderson. And well, it was already a great game, high energy. The place goes nuts. I mean, it is off the hinges for Ricky as he's on first base. And everyone, everyone wants to see him go, right? I mean, it's Ricky Henderson. You want to see him swipe a bag in a Mariners uniform. And it's Stan Javier is the hitter. And so after a couple of pitches, Ricky goes. Javier drills it to center field, over the center fielder. Ricky, on a close play at home, he scores standing. He's flying around the bases. He scores standing up, just missing a tag. The Mariners tie it and then take the lead right after. And the place is just unglued. It's bananas. And the crowd, big crowd, really big crowd. And to the point where Ricky is sitting in the dugout and they show him on the big screen and the place just goes wild. And you can see him get surprised at, you know, just how ridiculous everyone is going crazy over Ricky Anderson. And it's just one of those games where you almost have to be there. And it's, I just had this conversation with somebody that was there that day and they brought it up unsolicited, which made me feel pretty good. But the fact that he scored that run, and then the next day he's in the starting lineup and hits a home run leading off in his very first at-bat as a Mariner was pretty cool, too. But it was just cool, you know, see Ricky Henderson score the winning run, see him flying around the bases in a Mariner's uniform. Just really, really cool. Well, any Ricky Henderson story is a great story. And I can't imagine what it was like for Lou that first time to be able to look at his lineup card, look at his bench, and be like, oh, yeah, well, this this is where we're going to call Ricky's name. I mean, like, yeah. like what that does for a manager when you've got that guy, guy on your bench is incredible. Because when people discuss all-time greatest players, 10 times out of 10, Ricky Henderson gets left off that list. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever the countdown is you want to do. And – I he there there will never i mean it's fair to say like the, there's never going to be somebody like Ricky Henderson again nope right off no. field off the field swag everything else the obviously thing. the whole package man and he's one of the very very greatest of all time for so many reasons one of, one of which is his unique abilities right yeah and somehow his ageless timeless abilities that just I mean, I know he couldn't, couldn't run as well like any human being later in his career as early in his career. But, man, it's the classic 70% of this guy is better than 100% of that guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I can only imagine what it was like that first time seeing Ricky in a Mariners uniform and then seeing, like, the classic Ricky play yeah. in so many ways uh, happen right in front of your eyes the first time you see him on the field in your team's uniform. That's so cool. That is a that is a very very cool memory, and the fact that he then followed it up with a leadoff dinger the next day is I know. awesome. It was just glad, and he's forty one at this point. 
And but he That's looked amazing, he man. looked I mean he still looks amazing. It looks like he could every time we see him in Oakland, looks like he could play still. But man, that was fun. That was a really fun game. Well, uh my I have like I said, I have two. I'll I'll go in chronological order as we ping pong here. Uh, I have to go back to August of 2014. And I think a lot of people will remember this game because there aren't many games that kind of get a name or get named, ah, I should say. Yes. But this game got named. And if you talk to a dialed-in Mariners fan and say, hey, remember the Thunderstruck game? Yeah. Uh, they'll remember it uh -huh. because the Blue Jays were in town. Felix was pitching. So you combine like prime Felix with Blue Jays in August when the Mariners are really trying to get to the playoffs I and mean, they, they were having a good year. And you're talking about a completely sold out at the time, Safeco Field, right? And the sixth inning comes around and the Mariners just go absolutely bonkers. Uh, Cano hits a dinger. Mike Zanino, it's an opposite field triple <laughs> that barely stays in the ballpark. Uh, Brad, Brad Crazy Legs Miller uh, drives in a run. One of the uh, all-time greatest Mariners, Andy Chavez, uh, goes the opposite way inside a bag uh, to drive in a run as well. And then a Cano, one of the, the second most memorable thing about this game and this sixth inning is Cano goes up. He went oppo for his first homer and then misses his second home run in the same inning by like an inch. I mean, it hits essentially off the yellow pad in left center field. So all this is, is great, and you're whooping the Blue Jays in front of a sold-out crowd. Great, great, great. Uh, Cano almost hits two dingers. Awesome. But the thing that brought the whole ballpark to a complete standstill was this colossal jolt of lightning yeah. beyond the outfield fence. That just lit up the sky, man. And, of course, we just don't see that almost ever, right, here in Seattle. Like, yeah. that is not a common experience. And to see it there in that setting and to see everybody kind of <gasps> do one of those. So all that is great and all that is cool and very memorable. And the Mariners win the game. But the behind-the-scenes story that I had to ask about the next day is what really sets this game apart from your run-of-the-mill August game. And that is the Mariners who are so incredible in the control room and Mariners DJ is always on it. It's amazing how well those men and women in the control room can see something happen unscripted live in front of them. And within a matter of seconds, pull up the, the song that fits what just happened perfectly. Right. And as we all know, like, all of us at home, when we play music, probably, right, you have some type of uh, computer service, computer-based service, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. Well, this lightning strikes in the outfield or beyond the outfield fence, and within a matter of seconds, the whole ballpark erupts with ACDC Thunderstruck, which in and of itself is fantastic and amazing and very clever. When I talked to Greg Green, who as we like to coin him, he's the director of all things cool with the Mariners. Uh, Greg like, got his start in the kingdom doing this and now oversees the control room among his many responsibilities with the Mariners. 
at the time, and I don't, I don't know if this has changed or not now, but ACDC was not a part of a music share platform. So you couldn't just go into Spotify and type in ACDC or Thunderstruck and then click, 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 and boom, it's playing in the entire ballpark. They had to sprint to a drawer, <laughs> rip it open, quickly thumb and file through all these jewel cases, get to ACDC, the proper album that has Thunderstruck in it, put the CD in, and then what I have to imagine is the most annoying part is like waiting for the CD tray to... <laughs> <laughs> it's yes. like, like taking its sweet time. You're trying to like capitalize on the moment. And then I can just imagine somebody flipping to the back of the jewel case and... I'm thinking it's got to be like track nine, right? Like this isn't track one or two. So it's seek, 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 get all the way to the song and then press play. And then the whole ballpark erupts. And it was just like, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Felix, Blue Jays, late August, warm night, sold out crowd, King's court with multiple levels, huge sixth inning, can almost two dingers, massive lightning strike, thunderstruck truck, whole ballpark singing it was dynamite and it was the thunderstruck game that for those who were there they'll never forget i know that game was amazing you described it perfectly that's great that was a great game so what's number two for you now are these in any order for you not really are they just chronological not okay really. just what so my number two was actually a mariner's loss which is interesting so this is 1997 and this part i looked up because Randy Johnson was rolling. I remember that, like unhittable. And so I looked up to see exactly what he had done the five starts before this one. He had, in five starts, thrown 40 innings. He'd given up one run. He had fanned 57. And fanned 57 (laughs) opponents batting 103 with a 169 on base percentage. I mean, untouchable, right? So what was fun about those days going to the ballpark when you knew Randy was pitching? I mean, there's a chance you're going to something, see something really great every time. And so he's facing the A's in this game in 1997. And he, as this game is going, he is punching out everybody, literally everybody. 19 strikeouts in the game. It was unreal. But... He also allowed 11 hits with those 19 strikeouts and the longest home run I have ever seen. I am convinced that I will never see a longer home run. And for people that were there, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Mark McGuire hit a home run in this ball game that hit like the back of the kingdom. I mean, by this concession stand, over the aisle way. This, Aaron, I wish you had been to the kingdom at some point just so you could visualize what this was. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. So I was in the 300 level behind home plate. So high, really high. And when balls get hit at our, our eye level, when we would sit there, it was like up the elevator shaft, pop flies, right? That's the only kind of balls that were at our eye level. So McGuire hits this thing, and it was 
so hard my brain could not figure out what was happening <laughs> because the ball was our at our eye level yet it was going out towards left center field it was such an optical illusion and i remember just the hush the hush of the crowd when this thing landed because you're just watching it and it's going and going and going it was unbelievable. I mean, it was pure power on power at that point. I mean, there were, at the time, no power hitter like Mark McGuire and no power pitcher like Randy Johnson. And this thing was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. And, you know, during the, the games that went on, the A's had this lead, and the Mariners have nothing going offensively. And the Mariners end up losing 4-1, to one, but Randy ends up punching out 19 in the game, which is, you know, at some point we thought – that he have a shot at the strikeout record, and he almost got there. But it was the weirdest game because here he is dominant, yet 11 hits, yet the longest home run I've ever seen. He throws 142 pitches. It was just, I don't know, it was such a bizarre game, but one I'll never forget, that's for sure. God, first of all, I would have taken the over on 142 pitches. Right with nineteen punch outs. Well, here's oh. the here's the weird part. He didn't walk in. He didn't walk anybody. He gave up That's, two homers. See, I was gonna say, I'm always fascinated, and this is a textbook example. I'm always fascinated with high strikeout. We're talking at least floor of ten. Right. High strikeout, high hit performances by a starting pitch pitcher, because obviously there's really nothing in any sport, I mean, you could make the case that signifies domination like the strikeout. Yeah. Right? It's man on man, and you can't touch this. Complete domination. So you would think with that kind of domination that 11 hits would be preposterous, right? So, like, that just always – and it, it, we see it from time to time. I mean, it's not uh, – all that infrequent, but it is kind of odd to see that nonetheless. So I'm always, A, fascinated with that type of a pitching line. I've seen that clip of the Big Mac <laughs> dinger a lot, right? Estimated and 538 feet, just for the record. So I've talked to, to Blow about it a number of times. I feel like I'm always next to Blowers when we see this <laughs> clip together. And I don't know why that is. And every time... When it happens at T-Mobile Park, he always points out to where the old uh, Safeco Field sign was with the clock, now the T-Mobile mm -hmm. sign. And he always points out, and I forget which letter he chooses, but he chooses one of those letters. And it isn't like the T or previously the S. It's like further away, right? Right. And he always says that's where it would be here. Now... You know, Blower's cast might not be like 100% accurate, mm -hmm. but I've learned enough working, and you have also, I know, working with Blow, that like, it's pretty legit. Like, like I trust Blower's cast pretty far, right? So even if he's off by a little bit, if that's like in the vicinity, that is like an astronomical home run and one that, I mean... Correct me if I'm wrong, Gary, but I mean, like that would get out of T-Mobile Park now, yes. right? I mean, it would have to. If yes. it, it's hit to that vicinity, it's 
it's gone. It's out of the ballpark. It's so, out of the ballpark. It's like nothing I've amazing. ever seen. And, I, and we've, seen, <laughs> we've seen some big home runs, right? I mean, we've seen some big home runs. And I, I don't see how physically any home run could ever top that. How mad. How ma- and mad is the tamest word I can choose. How mad was Randy when oh, that ball was I hit? I know. I know. <laughs> oh, like, got a it, double it makes me, too. It, it makes me think of a less uh, far, 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 far less memorable home run. When the Mariners were in Houston eons ago, Tywin Walker was with the Mariners at the time. And he gave up a home run, I think it might have been to Luis Falbuena. Doesn't matter. In any event, he hits it off of the right field foul pole. Um, The foul pole had a sponsorship on it for Uh Chick-fil-A. And if if, if any Astros player hit the home run off the Chick-fil-A foul pole, then, you know, like when you leave, you get a coupon for a Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? Yeah, right. So the whole place goes crazy. They probably made played like a moo sound effect or something throughout the ballpark. And the next day when we get to the ballpark and Taiwan goes to his locker, what's waiting for him on the top shelf of his locker but a Chick-fil-A sandwich <laughs> that Balboina had sent over to him. Which, I mean... Taiwan being a competitor and yet a good-natured person and like the competitive juices uh, stopped boiling overnight and he regrouped like he thought that was very funny right sure like the next day he could laugh at it imagine anyone talking to Randy about that Big Mac home run at any point for the next 20 years and how hard Randy would would probably hit them (laughs) I I know like he would not take Oh. I, I can't imagine he took that very well at all. No, it would be bad, really bad. Hey, so since we're That's talking about amazing, you were there. Yeah. yeah, and since we're talking about Randy, why don't I go next because my next game is Randy as well. Perfect. So this this is intertwined between personal and game, but we had uh, Paul Moore, who I had tickets with for a long time. We'd get like a twenty game pack when we could, and we had tickets in. The 300 level, as I just mentioned, kind of above, right behind home plate. We also had tickets in center field, which I've always talked about, which was really unique at the Kingdom because at one point we were like dead center field, like where cameras should be. And we were like right behind Griffey's back, which was a fun vantage point That's to very see. cool. Yeah, it was great. So one day we're going to the ball game and we get to our seats and there is a camera like a television camera in our seats and they have a bunch of seats kind of blocked off and we're like this is kind of weird what do we do and usher grabs us and says that we've been moved from our normal seats and we're like oh okay because obviously the camera's there and this is the day where day and age where you know not every uh, this was a national tv game and this was a rare occurrence at this point and so Randy is on the mound, which we were really excited about, and we're moved, right? So we walk back, they walk us back out to the concourse, and then they start walking us all the way around 
back to behind home plate. So we go from the outfield to behind home plate. And then he starts walking us down. We're what? Like, yes. We're in like row six. And it is something I will never forget. Because I'd watch Randy pitch a hundred times at this point. But we are behind home plate. Right behind home plate. And he was facing the Rangers and dealing. Like a 15 strikeout game. Uh, near shutout. He didn't give up any runs, but uh, he didn't go the distance. And seeing him from that vantage point, right behind home plate, he looked completely unhittable. And it was in that moment, just watching it, made me realize how amazing baseball players are. The fact that anyone could even stand there and take a swing and even make any sort of contact with what he was throwing up there, it was Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just a fastball, the slider, well, the whole thing. It was crazy. And for like forget making contact, just being fearless enough to stand, stand in there. there. I know. I that was that was going through my head all game. It was so much fun for us because we didn't have to hit. And it was still a little uncomfortable and we had netting and everything behind us. It was it was surreal, man. I mean, it was peak Randy too, because he was he was rolling at that point too. It just had it all working. And just from that vantage point, I mean, I never was able to sit close uh, for ball games. So to sit close and to have him pitch and be there doing it, it was so great. Now, I know you're a lefty, but but I also know you're a weird lefty. Do you bat left-handed? I do not. I am. See, that's why. Okay. You're a weird lefty. Henderson. See what I mean? I'm Ricky Henderson. Okay. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you are, Gary. You, throw, throw left, you, hit the nail, right. you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, well, I mean, we have <laughs> okay. similar speed, so. Yeah. Okay, well, let's say that when Randy's in his prime, uh-huh. okay, somebody approached young Gary Hill, Uber Mariners fan young Gary Hill, and said, hey, Gary, um, Randy is throwing a side today. And he needs it to feel more realistic. So we need you to step into left-handed batter's box. You don't need to hold bat. We just need you to stand there. He needs to feel like there's a bat- batter there. Would you stand in against Randy Johnson? Oh, boy. Uh, is there anything on the line? Would I get something? The no- well, yeah, yeah. You get to be able to say on a podcast 20 years later that you stood in and saw Randy Johnson throw a side with you right there. That's what you get. I mean, this, I, is an, this is an honor. I feel like six rows back. You know, what's funny about that, uh, I think the assumption would be, oh, the slider, you'd go bailing out. The thing is, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't pick up the slider until it was in the mitt. So I wouldn't probably move at all. It would just be by me, just like the fastball. I think it would be fine because it wouldn't even register. It would be by me. I'd hear, <laughs> I'd hear the pop of the mitt. Without even uh. blinking. Like, I didn't move. I'm still. Now, that being said, if it was coming at me, there's nothing I could do about it. But hopefully an aside. See, that's my thing, man. Like, I can't get out of the way of <laughs> whiffle balls being hit at me in the backyard sometimes. Like, honestly, like, sometimes, like I can't. Like, I see them and I can't move. Yeah. Like, like, I can't get out of the way fast enough, right? So uh-huh. that would be a no way ever for me to watch. As a lefty, I'd want um, no part of that. I mean, I'd be. I'd be John Crook. I'd be Larry Walker. And I, I mean, those, those moments in the All-Star games, 
that's what hitters really felt. That's what left-handed hitters really felt about facing oh. Randy Johnson. It was an all-star game, so they could let their guard down. That's you'd want no part of it. You know what? Hey, next next week, if um, if we're thin on content, we should play the John Cruck talking right. about Randy in the All Star game. Ooh, that's a great Cause that's because that is like very very. I won't spoil it. It was very well said by yeah. John Cruck. Well, my um my second and final memory is from uh, it's also an August game. Uh, August of 2016. And this was a, a great night uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, the headliner was Griffey. The Mariners retired Junior's number that night. And as we all know, nobody does a pregame ceremony like the Mariners. So place was packed, right? Everybody was there to see Junior. Uh, Saturday night against the Angels, sold out crowd. And... Uh, well, the funny thing about this is that maybe this kind of speaks to the type of games that we're referring to. The player that I remember having this monster night, like when I think of this game, I think of this one player. He had one hit. <laughs> I was really surprised when I look back at the box score because as the years go on and I think about this game, I'm like, well, Sean O'Malley. Almost hit for the cycle. He almost hit for the cycle, man. Like he maybe hit better than the cycle. Maybe he had two doubles instead of a, a, a measly single Sean O'Malley was the Mariners starting shortstop that night and he had only one hit but it was a three-run go-ahead home run in the seventh inning to put the Mariners up eight six they would go on to win the game eight to six Diaz got the save but not only I mean, I mean yes great like Sean O'Malley you know he's a local kid and he's now with the Mariners and he grew up idolizing junior and now he's not only is he on the Mariners the night that they're retiring his number, but he's the starting shortstop on this particular night, which is incredible. And he hits this go-ahead home run, which is amazing and awesome and total out-of-body experience for Sean O'Malley. But what, what really stands out to me about that game, and I'll be curious if people have an example from their time as a Mariners fan at the Kingdom or at T-Mobile Park. But in my years of broadcasting Mariners baseball, it's the only time where I've heard essentially the entire crowd chant a player's name. And the chants for Sean O'Malley hmm. were so amazing, mostly because it was Sean O'Malley. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're not chanting for Cano or Nelson Cruz, right? Right. I mean, the only guy that I've heard like a section or multiple sections of the ballpark chanting for is a Kyle Seeger chant, which I've heard on a handful of occasions. And he's the guy who you would think of like the current Mariners or Mariners in the last whatever decade or so would maybe get that just because he's such a beloved Mariner. And a very chantable but name. For sure. It's very easy, syllable and a very, it's a That's a huge part of the equation, yeah. Like Franklin Gutierrez isn't quite as easy. <laughs> Guillermo Heredia, you know. But, like, but <laughs> yes, the fact that Sean O'Malley had that big of a moment, and I, I'm going to guess that was, I mean, it's pr actually, the, as I think about it for a couple of seconds, it's a, it's stupid to say I'm going to guess. Like, that's the highlight of his career, Sure. right? Aside from, like, making his... Big league debut. That's the best moment of his career. Three run go ahead, Jack. Division team. 
full house. Junior's there. They chant your name. Like 45,000 people chant your name. And you're this little kid from Kennewick, right? Yeah. Like that is amazing. And I think one of the, like people ask me a lot what it's like, what I prefer, the differences between calling games on TV and calling games on radio. And it's a hard question to answer because I never want to want to feel like I'm favoring one, right? Because they're both, I mean, without sounding really sappy, like it's an honor and it's a privilege to call either one because you're calling the same game. You call differently, but it's amazing to be calling any big league baseball game. But the power that radio has over television in a moment like that is when you can call a three-run home run and then hear 45,000 people going crazy, and all you can do is hear it. Like You can't see it. There are no shots of the crowd. It's only hearing it, and you get lost in that sound. And then, like right as you're about to start talking again as the play-by-play guy, you start start hearing this chant of Sean O'Malley, and you know instantly, like any listener would know instantly, that this is special. Mm. This is something that will not ever happen again. Like Sean O'Malley chants aren't going to start just happening every week at T-Mobile Park, right? And to be able to have your engineer, Kevin Grimmett at the time, you look over at him and you watch him ride that fader up on the crowd mic just a little bit more, right? So that those Sean O'Malley chants pump through those car speakers or those speakers on the front porch at somebody's house a little bit louder so you can really hear it. I mean, it is as powerful of a thing in sports play-by-play as you can do, and that is not say anything. <laughs> it is so, <laughs> so cool. It is so great. A moment like that is, in my opinion, is be- better on radio than on television because all you, you can do is focus on the sound, right? On TV, you would hear it, and as a play-by-play guy, you would do the same thing. You would shut up, but you would not have all of your senses – on the chant because you'd be looking at how great the ballpark looks and how there's 45,000 people and what a scene, what a shot, like what a great job by the director in the truck. But on radio, it's just Kremen's finger sliding that fader up a quarter inch so that you can just get lost in that Sean O'Malley chant. So because of that, it's a game I hope I'll never forget because it was for a guy who, uh, you know, did not have a long career that is something he'll tell his grandkids about. And I was really grateful and am really grateful that I got to be there when it happened. Absolutely. I'm happy. I'm so happy you picked that game. You described it perfectly. And the May Classic schedule has not been released yet, but I can tell everyone this, that that game is on the list. So oh, I'll have a chance to hear So it. stay tuned for May. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Very cool. It, and it's why I put it on the list, because that, Man, especially for people that were there. I mean, unbelievable. There were a lot of people there too. That was a, it was a really good crowd, that day. It was a great. Ball. Yeah, there was. I've got the box score up. It was, uh, yeah, it sold out. Forty five thousand six eighteen. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's as good day. as it gets. In August, August. I mean, man. Seventy degrees. I mean, that's just Oof. that's perfection right there. It is perfection. Yeah, that's what that's that's why you that's why you uh, play early April on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. You can be home in August and uh, play in front of a sold out crowd with Junior there, and it'd be seventy degrees. Yeah. 
Nice. That's a great one. You got you got two more or one more? No, one more. We I went back okay. to back with Randy. So this one again oh, right. is right. intertwined between game and personal. I don't think I've ever told you this story too, which I think you'll you'll enjoy. So I went to a Mariners game with my then girlfriend, and it was the first game that I took my girlfriend to. And is this Mary or some? This o- is Mary. It is Mary, who's oh, now my wife. Oh, it would have been, been so awkward. It would have been really okay. awkward. I would have told her not to listen to the podcast. I'm sure she'll not listen anyways. But <laughs> I'm sure she. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but it was the first game that we went to together, and Kingdom game, and it was a game that was one-one going into the bottom of the ninth, which. You know, it doesn't sound like that abnormal, but let's put it in the kingdom context, especially with the teams from those years on the hitting side and on the pitching side. Like, there weren't games 1-1 going to the bottom of the ninth, especially with, I mean, Solomon Torres started the game for the Mariners and just threw a gem. I mean, he was amazing, (laughs) which is not really what you would expect from Solomon Torres. But anyway, he was great. And so it's 1-1 in the ninth, and Rich Amaral, who is at third base, and for those that don't know the Rich Amaral story, it's great. I mean, he didn't get to the big leagues till he was like 30 and stuck around and put together a really nice career as kind of a, a do-everything guy off the bench. And So he's at third base, good speed. And Chad Cruder, the backup catcher, left-handed hitter, was, uh, was hitting. And it's a 1-1 ball game. And Cruder lays down a bunt trying to score Amaral from third. And the bunt, I'm not kidding, it must have gone two inches in front of home plate and just stopped there. <laughs> it just stopped. And Cruder doesn't move a muscle. He's just standing at home plate, and it's all on Amaral trying to score because if he gets thrown out, double play in the inning you know, is over and it's extra innings. But Amaral comes racing home. Uh, the throw home, not in time. The tag misses. Amaral slay, uh, safe. And the Mariners win on a squeeze, which was, I thought, the coolest thing in the world. I'd never seen a squeeze to end a ball game. And it still stands out to me all these years later. And the fact that the bunt was just, it was such a bad bunt for the situation. But it ended up working out. <laughs> it, was so, it was so fun. It was just, it's one of those games where, there are so many oddities. Like, it's one-to-one. I mean, what's going on? Uh, it was against the Twins, too. Kirby Puckett was playing for Minnesota, which was cool. And oh, cool, man. Yeah, so a two-to-one win and uh, a game that I'll never forget. And, and Mary, as it turns out, we've been to several Mariners games together since. The first of many. <laughs> <laughs> now, was she like – you know, I don't think – I know Mary, like, pretty well. I, I mean – was she a big baseball fan, a big enough baseball fan that like she would have gone to a random Mariners Twins game anyway? Or is it like, oh, my new boyfriend is a baseball nerd, so I'm gonna go to the game with him? Yeah, probably some of that. But she did go to games as a kid, so okay, yeah, she'd go. She would go to games as a kid. She's a sports fan growing up, so she was into it. But I mean, the appeal of going somewhere with me, I think that was... I mean, obviously. I mean, yeah. I can speak to that. I mean, I <laughs> I go all sorts of places just because you go there, you know? I mean, that, That's right. I, I mean, mean Rick, same thing. Blow, same thing, you know? Had the Mariners lost that game, there's a chance we wouldn't be married. You just don't know how those things play out. So I, it worked out yeah. really well for everyone. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Gary, I got to give it to you, man. Like when you threw this idea of this topic to me, uh, a couple of like more, probably more than a couple of weeks ago at this point, I thought that's a good idea. Like that's a solid podcast idea, but this was a great idea. This was very well done on your part, mainly because you had incredibly unique games and a couple of them very, very memorable, even if you weren't there on a date with your girlfriend. So nicely done on your part. I am very excited to see what what people say. Uh, and again, get back to us, MarinersPod at Mariners.com. I, I'm really anxious to hear what people have to say because, I mean, it's one of those things where baseball is so unique in that way, right? Like, there are games that we will always remember that have nothing to do with whether the team won or lost, whether it was a playoff run. I mean, it could be a random game in June, right? And for whatever reason, somebody will always remember it. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what people have to say. I mean, don't you think? I mean, baseball's really unique in that way. I mean, you, you know, an NBA game in, I don't know, the third month of the season, you know, it's just not – that kind of stuff doesn't happen, you know? You don't have the Sean O'Malley story. Right. I mean, it's a pretty jaded expression, but it is 100% accurate. You never know what you're going to see when you show up to the ballpark. Yeah. So, I mean, like, who thought that whatever, Mike Leake almost was going <laughs> to throw a perfect game that one night? I mean, yeah. I mean it, you know, it didn't happen, but he took a per- perfect did. game into the ninth inning, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a prime example. You that's just never example. know. So fill out your scorecard and hold on to that puppy because one day you might want to be able to tell somebody, I was at that game where Big Mac hit at 600 feet or I was at that Thunderstruck game or who knows what it was because, yeah, you're right. It's something that is just different and, and incredibly amazing way about baseball that any random game out of 162 can become completely historic um whether it be for cooperstown purposes or just uh always uh always memorable for a fan base because of something that who knows who knows what might happen so yeah definitely different about baseball yeah this is fun thanks for doing this good stuff Good stuff to you, man. Hey, have you uh, shaved your beard yet, or is it still growing? No, it's still growing. Yeah, shaved my head, but not my beard. So I guess that's. Have you I'm shaved going. your head again, or is it, or no. is, did you shave it close enough? No, it's it's okay. still growing out a little bit, but it was a three all the way around. That's pretty short. So that was pretty short. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to figure out. I'm, the clock's ticking, man. Yeah, like, you're in trouble. I mean, you're getting. I mean, to it's, it's bad news. Time. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad news. It's. It's like a really awful science experiment. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know yet what the breaking point will be. But when it happens, I'm going to let Heather have a run at it. Oh, you know, I like, this. like, hey, like, like, who knows? Right. Like, just watch a YouTube video, get some shears, you know, and let's just see if we can make this thing work. And if it's a pig. Then I'm going taking a three to the whole thing. You I know? noticed. Actually, I take it back. If it's a, if it's a pig, I'm gonna mohawk it for a day, and then I'll take a three. Oh, that's it. a great plan. Uh, I just I've noticed that when you're doing videos now, uh, that it's tough to keep the hair in the shot. <laughs> like it's well, the only way to do it is to back so far away. They're yeah. like, is that Aaron in that picture? Yeah, see, are you in the screen? Oh, there you are. 
You're oh, there it sounds there. like him. I can't see him, though. Yeah. All right. So that's really the challenge that you're facing right now. So that's tough. It's, it's, uh, it is a problem. What can I say? Not a six-stream one, but um, in a month or two, it'll be extreme. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Fun as always, G-Man. Yeah, we'll talk Thanks soon. Thanks for the call, man. Uh-huh. You got it, bud.